Joshua chapter 23. Joshua 23. Joshua 23. Hosea 23. Jesus 23. Jesus 23. Joshua 23. 23. 23. How do you want to say it? No thanks. We don't allow French in here. <laughs> All right. So, um, thanks for coming out, guys, tonight. Uh, with this, this was this was one that um, this was on my heart while I was on vacation. It's good to be back with you guys. Uh, really missed you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is one that's definitely was on my heart during vacation. I was just going through some things, and, and one morning when I was reading, there's a word that popped out to me that. I I could not help but to further study and it kind of fell into something that I thought was going to be a personal study for me and the more that I went through it I'm like you know what this is something that we should talk about um, and it deals with matters of the heart if you listen to really I think any number of messages that I do I talk a lot about the heart and I think it's because it's also been a struggle of mine um, I don't live this out perfectly I really feel like the things we're going to talk about tonight are things that are things that that when I don't get right I mean I even struggle with some of these things this past week I mean I feel like a giant hypocrite when I don't get these things right in my life I feel like you can't walk with God without dealing with issues of the heart properly you just can't um, if you think you can walk with God and be a successful Christian without dealing with the matters of the heart then you are just a religious hypocrite that's what you are um, you say you love God but you don't do anything about it uh, you say you walk with God, but you really don't. Um, you think you bring honor and glory to the Lord when you really don't at all. You bring more honor and glory to yourself and to other religious institutions and maybe even family traditions than you actually do to the Lord. And so this is something that, that I tend to talk a lot about uh, as I've kind of reflected over a lot of my messages that I've preached from the pulpit here, even in here. Uh, but, I, but I feel like I do because it's, it's honestly something that, that I feel that I need to be reminded of a lot. And so the title of the message tonight is called Cleave Unto the Lord or Don't. Cleave Unto the Lord or Don't. This word cleave really stood out to me this past week. I was just reading in some places in Joshua, and now I'm reading through the book of Judges right now. And this word cleave really popped out to me. And it's a word that's not used that often in the scriptures, but where it is used, it's very, very powerful. And so it led me on a word study on this word cleave. And really how important it is to cleave unto the Lord. And that's not a word we typically use, but I think you guys understand what it means. And we're going to go through what it actually means. But Joshua 23 is where we're going to launch off from. Because Joshua is at the end of his life. So right now on Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Joshua in the main service. And it's all about conquering the promised land. It's the fulfillment of what God had promised since Abraham. And even before that, of providing a land for his people so he can build a physical kingdom. And that kingdom would be the kingdom of... Heaven. heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Because you have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the literal physical kingdom that God will establish from the throne in Jerusalem with Jesus sitting on it. The kingdom of God is the invisible, internal kingdom that He established on the cross. And when you are born again, you are now made part of that kingdom through salvation, through the gospel. Knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that you have no hope without Jesus Christ, calling upon Him to save you. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are then ushered into the kingdom of God. You're now part of this kingdom. You're adopted into His family. So Joshua 23, they've conquered the land. They haven't cast out everybody out of the land yet. There's people and giants that are still in there. But now you're at the end of Joshua's life. And these are among his final words. Joshua 23 and 24 are very powerful. And I know that Pastor Tom is going to do a crazy awesome message when he gets there on these couple chapters because they are amazing. And so in chapter 23, there's a couple things that Joshua says to the nation of Israel that we need to take heed to. So let's start off in verse 6. Verse 6. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside there, therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. And here's part of it. But cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. 
And then take a drop down to verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else if ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they unto you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. So right here in between verses 6 through 8 and verse 11 through 13, you have Joshua giving them an option. They are going to cleave to something. They're either going to cleave unto the Lord their God, or they're going to cleave unto the remnant of these nations. And another term for that would be the, the world. And that's really the choice that we have every single day. You are going to cleave to one or to the other. Even if you're saved, even if you're born again, you're going to cleave unto the Lord or this world. If you're lost, you're cleaving unto the world, and you need to actually let go of that and cleave unto God. And that's salvation. But even after salvation, you're going to cleave to one or the other, and your actions actually show and prove what you are cleaving to. And so don't fool yourself. Get into the habit of objectively looking at your life. Like I said at the beginning, this past week, I struggled with this. And I had to be honest with myself about it. Like even as I wrote this down, the days after, I struggled. <laughs> I struggled in my flesh about serving myself and serving the things of this world rather than God. And so, I feel like there's an element, especially as, as Christians living in the last days, that we're all going to struggle with this. It's just to what extent? And how much are you willing to fight in order to get rid of the things of the world and cleave unto the Lord? Because most Christians don't. Most Christians today do not cleave unto the Lord. They say they do. They wear the badge of Christianity. They say, Jesus, love ya, but they don't live like it at all. Like, at all. And it's very clear and it's very evident. Because if they do cleave unto the Lord, they will do the things that the Lord has done. And a great example of that is, is just read the Gospels. What life did Jesus live? And then compare your life to that, and are you anywhere close? And I think for most of us, we would honestly say, yeah, no, it's way off. Like, I'm not living the life that Jesus lived. There's things that I know that I can be doing to be more faithful unto the Lord. So we all have these two choices. You're either going to cleave to the Lord or to the world. You're going to do one or the other. And so every day we've got to choose wisely. And the other thing about this is that cleaving to the Lord is closely connected to courageously obeying what is written in His Word. Look back at verse 6. It says... Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. And then he talks about in verse 8, cleaving unto the Lord. So in this context, cleaving means that you will be very closely connected to obeying the word of God. And it's going to take some great courage to do it. Because most of the world is not going to do this. They won't. In fact, they'll do everything to tear apart God's Word and to disprove God and to say how stupid it is for you to be obedient to what God's book says, that old ancient book. But if you're going to cleave to the Lord, you will courageously obey what He's already written. And cleaving to the world will result in intimately intermingling with this world's ways. And that's what verse 12 says. Else, if and you do anywise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they unto you, know that God's not going to drive them out, and you're going to perish. So it will lead to spiritual defeat and ultimately death. So those are the things that we have in front of us. So this concept of cleaving is so important. And I feel like that if we just grasp just a sliver of this, tomorrow could be a much different day than today. When you wake up in the morning, if you have this on your heart and your mind, and you, have, you will have a renewed focus on your relationship with God, and your outlook about the people around you, your circumstances, you'll start to see things the way that God does if you really get this. So it's my prayer that you would really, really get this. Alright, so the first mention. Let's talk about the first mention. First mention of the Bible is very important. Tell me why. Why is first mention important in the scriptures? Yeah. Because it sets a precedent. It does. Why does it set a precedent? What does it do? Yeah. 
define the word. Yes, it defines the term, and God is consistent throughout Scripture to use that term as it's used the first time within that context and carry it through the rest of Scripture. So go to Genesis 2.24. Genesis 2.24. This is the first mention of the word cleave in your Bible. Genesis chapter 2. So make a left, hit the table of contents, go a little bit to the right. Genesis 2. And somebody read for me verse 24. Verse 24, Carson. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay, so Adam and Eve. I mean, you can't get any earlier back in the Bible than talking about Adam and Eve, basically. And so here you have in chapter 2, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So based on this context, what does cleaving require? What? Physical. Okay. Physical. To yeah. Leave to leave. Yeah, you're going to do that? Doggone it, Ethan. You stole Rose's answer. Yeah. To leave and to cleave. Now, I think God worded it that way on purpose for us to remember that. I mean, some people have heard that term and they kind of, oh, leave and cleave, leave and cleave. Oh, he didn't leave and cleave. Oh, she didn't. Okay. <laughs> But honestly, when he does stuff like that in the scriptures and he puts them close together and they rhyme, he does it that way on purpose. God's not a moron. Like, he's a genius. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he put those words in there like that for you to remember. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. It really flows together really nice there. So it requires leaving. So here's a great definition. And this is out of the Webster's 1828. To stick to adhere, to hold to, and I like this one, to unite aptly, which is really kind of cool. And so another way to say that would be to fit or to be closely united in interest and or affection. So to stick, to adhere to, to hold to, to unite aptly, to fit, to be united closely in interest and affection. And what's interesting, when you look this up in the dictionary, the same word has an opposing meaning. So if you say cleave is to like join together or to be united together intimately, it also has a definition to part or divide by force or to separate. To cleave wood. You split it in half. It's interesting. So that same word has two polar opposite definitions. But yet, at the same time, it means to leave and to join. So you're leaving one thing, you're letting go of one thing, and you're joining something else. And so if I were to put all this together, I think it would be like this. Cleaving is the act of separating from one thing and holding, sticking, and adhering or uniting to another thing. And you're united intimately in interest and affection. It's something that you love. This is why I think Christians struggle with this. They say they love God, but their life shows otherwise. I mean, think back over this last week. I would say the majority of you would, would honestly open, openly say, I love God. I love the Lord. But when you look at your life, does it prove that? Does it prove that you are intimately connected with the Lord in your interests and affections? Because what you love and what you're interested in is what you're going to do. And what you spend your time and your money and your energy doing is what you really love. And that has always been a great point of evaluation for me. I remember back even in middle school and high school, I remember when people would talk about that. I'll go, ooh, like, ooh, that would hurt. Because I would, like, if I would get extra money, what would I spend it on? I would spend it on me. If I had extra time, where would I spend that time? With me, my friends, things that I love to do. If I had the ability to go and do whatever, what would I do? I mean, I, did I ever once give those things to the Lord? Like, have I ever thought, and this is, this is crazy for teenagers to think this way. This is insane. Let's say you get paid an extra hundred bucks. Is the first thought on your mind was, hey, I wonder what missionaries are struggling that could actually use some extra cash. Yes. <laughs> you didn't think that when you were a teenager. <laughs> you did not. You're thinking about what symbol to buy for your drum set. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of stuff. I have extra time. I wonder what I could do in order to serve God or glorify God rather than myself. I, 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 I even thought about this when it comes to when I would play sports or when I would play music and stuff like that. Like, I, 
I loved making a good play. I mean, there's nothing better than when you're in the middle of a game or you're you're playing sports with somebody and you like hit the key shot or you have a steal or you hit that home run or you, I mean, when you're singing and, and I remember there were times where I would try to hit a certain note or we would be performing. I mean, there's nothing like it because like you're doing, you're playing the best of your ability. You're singing at the best of your ability. You're doing something and then you're known for it. And then people say, oh, that was amazing. And you're like, I don't know. You know? <laughs> but how many of us take Take those talents that we have and say, yeah, but really, I wouldn't have been able to do this except for the Lord. God gave me this ability. And I love Him. And I'm thankful that He gave this to me. That's not the first thing that rolls off our tongue. That's not the first thought that comes into our head because we're selfish. We're self-centered. And so we're very quick to cleave to the things of this world, but we're not so quick to cleave unto the Lord. And yet, this is what Joshua tells the nation of Israel that they've got to do, or else they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be spiritually defeated, and there's going to be death in their life. And this is why, in this first mention, Genesis 2, he gives that picture, that illustration of a marriage. Because when it comes to, to marriage, like I do a lot of premarital counseling. I've married a couple um, couples already this, this year. And, uh, and, and I was, I'm even doing the premarital counseling for a couple that's getting married this, this Sunday. And when you look at a marriage relationship, how do you know they're close? Give me some examples. Yeah. They finish each other's sentences. Yeah. Or sandwiches. Yeah, I was going to say, are you going to pull a frozen on me? <laughs> they finish each other's sentences. Yeah. Yes, they're close. They hold hands. They hug. They, have, they show affection. How else? Like how much time they spend together and how much they know about it. Yeah, how much time they spend with each other and not necessarily with other people. What else? Like how much time they spend with God as well. Yeah, for sure. How much time do they spend with God together? Like I, most couples are very quick to spend time with each other, but they're not so quick to serve God together. I mean, that's how you really know that they're really close to the Lord as well. And so in a marriage relationship, how do you know if a couple's not doing well? When they're not walking with God. How else? Give me some practical examples. Go ahead. They don't listen to each other? They don't listen to each other at all. A lot of fighting. I know you guys have seen it. Go ahead. There's no connection. There's no connection. They don't have anything in common. Yeah. You can feel the tension. Yes. There's unresolved tension, and they're not interested in resolving it and being close together. When they're lying to each other. Yeah. When they're not telling the truth to one another. There's divisions. There's gaps between them. They're not cleaving together. Marriage relationships are meant to be a relationship that's very close, very connected together. That's why even in premarital counseling, I, I like to talk to them about, hey, there should be nothing between you. Like if there's something that comes in between you, there's something wrong. There should never be, you should be able to be comfortably together. Like if you walk into a room and there's uneasiness and there's things that are going on that are, that's not right, there's something off and it needs to be addressed, so you need to communicate. And it's the same thing with the Lord. Many people are uncomfortable coming to church because they know they're not living right. Many people don't want to even look at their Bible, let alone open it and read it, because they know they're not living right. A lot of people don't even want to open up their mouth when God gives them a wide open door to share the gospel and to talk about their faith, because they're a hypocrite. And on the side, they could say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but yet they don't do some of these other things because there's things between you and God. That's not right. It shouldn't be that way. My relationship with God, when there are things that are in the way between me and God, I do not feel right until I deal with them. And the thing about me that I have to be careful of is that I often can let my guilt of my mistakes continue that division. When God's like, hey, listen, this was dealt with. Like, I died for it. You confessed it. You, you talked to me about it. You were honest. Stop feeling guilty about it. That's one of my big struggles that I have. And I let that guilt create more division and more separation when I've already dealt with it with the Lord. And I need to learn how to cleave unto Him. So this is why the marriage picture is so beautiful. And the first mention of this in Genesis 2 is why God brings us into the picture of cleaving. And He brings that out again in Ephesians 5. Listen to this passage, Ephesians 5, 31-33. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto, cleave, 
his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular still love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So again, it's talking about the relationship, but it brings in Jesus Christ and the church. And if you are born again today, God has called you to leave your old life and to be, and to be cleaved, joined unto him. All right, so here's my questions, because then we're going to get into some other things that were basically my point number two and point number three is cleaving unto the Lord is a decision of the heart. But here's my questions. How faithful are you to the Lord? Do you serve Him? I mean, do you really serve Him? Do you treasure the Lord? Like, is your relationship with God something that you treasure? Like, is so valuable to you that you don't want to compromise it? Do you keep His commandments? Do you walk in His ways? Which means you're in His Word and you know what He says and you know what to do. And then here's another key indicator. How victorious are you in your sin issues? Or do you just keep struggling with the same thing over and over and over and over and over again? Because if you keep struggling, you're not being obedient. And... And I get it because I have my own sin issues and my own sin struggles. Like I told you, I was writing this down for me and even a few days later, I struggled with, with sin issues in my life. There are things that kept coming up that caused division between me and God. But at the same time, I came to a point where I'm like, no, I'm not letting this cause any more division between me and God. I'm not doing it. No matter how much I want to sin, no matter how much I want to do something that pleases myself over God, I'm not going to do it anymore. I came to an end, and there came a point where I'm like, I'm not going to let this keep getting in the way between me and the Lord. So how victorious are you in your sin issues? All right, so here's my second point. So after kind of defining it a little bit, here's my second point. Cleaving unto the Lord is a decision of the heart, and it will cause you to do certain things. So if you cleave unto the Lord, these things will result in your life. Cleaving unto the Lord is a decision of the heart, and it will cause you to... And then I've got a list of some things that it will cause you to do. First one is Deuteronomy 10, 20 through 21. So turn there. Deuteronomy 10, 20 and 21. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. I'll never stop saying that. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20 and 21. Deuteronomy 10, 20 and 21. Give me a reader. A reader. you got to be able to read in English, though. What's it? Deuteronomy 10, 20 and 21. Okay, Sam, you got it. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve. And to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. He is thy praise and he is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. Okay, so there's several things in this, in this verse. The first thing is, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. So you're going to fear the Lord. The second thing in this verse is that you're going to serve Him. You're not going to serve yourself. You're going to serve God. You're going to fear God. You're going to care about what God thinks. You're going to care about His opinion more than your, your own or anybody else's for that matter. You're going to then serve Him and do His will and not your own. And to Him thou shalt cleave and swear by His name. So you're going to cleave unto Him. You're going to swear by His name. His name now becomes yours. And then verse 21, He is thy praise and He is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. So you're going to fear Him. You're going to serve Him. You're going to cleave to Him. You're going to swear by His name. And you're going to treasure Him and His relationship with you. So this salvation picture, again, going back to this picture of marriage, if you are a born-again believer, you are a brand new creature. You're a brand new creature. It's for 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things, all things, all the old stuff, it's gone. Everything is new. Brand new creature. You're adopted into a new family. That's why it says swearing by his name. You are now in his family. You now have his name. 
Listen to this one. You're adopted in Ephesians 1, having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then 1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. When you're adopted into God's family, you now have a new name, a new title as a son of God. And as an adopted member of his family with a new name, you should treasure and honor this privilege that you have with the Lord. Two verses that popped out to mind for me were Matthew 6.21 and Luke 6.45. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wherever your treasure is, your heart is going to be there. And so how do you know what someone treasures? Luke 6.45. Anyone know that one? It's connected. How do you know what someone treasures? What was it? I think you got it. It's something like that. For out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Yes, what do you talk about? I guarantee you the thing you talk about the most is the thing that you love. Whatever comes out of your mouth the most is what you love. And you can tell. I mean, you can tell. There's reasons why I can't be friends with certain people because of things that come out of their mouth. I just don't have things in common with them. And others, when they talk about it a lot, I'm like, oh, I love that too. Like, get me into a conversation where I'm talking to somebody about basketball or water skiing or, you know, guitars or singing or things that I've spent a lot of time doing. Like, I've spent a lot of time doing those things. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I love, I, I love, I, I do our systematic theology course in JBI. I love talking about theology stuff. I've always loved it. I've always been interested in it. Ever since I was a little kid, I remember my mom got me this book, and I was always interested in questions about, like, angels and, like, you know, weird stuff. I love talking about weird stuff. Conspiracy theories, I love it. It's so much fun, especially in this day and age. So there's just a lot of things that come out of your mouth, and that shows you what you love, because wherever your heart is, whatever your treasure is, is going to come out of your mouth. And so do you treasure your relationship with God? Do you? Does your relationship with God come out of your mouth? Or do you make God want to vomit? Because that's what it says in Laodiceans, we make Him want to vomit. I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 3. God's relationship, you love Him so much, you treasure Him so much, it comes out of your mouth. It's very easy to talk about. The things of God, things spiritually, it's easy to talk about because you love Him and you spend time with Him and you want to grow in your relationship. It should be evident. It should be evident. I love talking about that kind of stuff. I love talking about my family. I love talking about my marriage. I love talking about my, just even my past and the things that God taught me. I love talking about those things. And it's very evident. It's very evident because it's the stuff I talk about all the time. So those things will be evident. You'll fear Him. You'll serve Him. You'll cleave to Him. You'll swear by His name. You're not ashamed of Him. You're going to treasure your relationship with Him. And it's definitely going to be something that you talk about. The second list of things in this list of things that will cause you to do is Deuteronomy 11, verses 22 and 23. Deuteronomy 11, 22 and 23. 22 and 23. All right, give me a lady to read this one. Okay, go ahead. You want to read? 11, 22, and 23? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. It's okay. Um, for if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which I, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourself. Sounds a lot like Joshua. That's because Joshua picked up from Moses and said these exact same things. Okay, so if you cleave unto the Lord, remember it's a decision of the heart, it's going to cause you to, according to these verses, you're going to diligently keep all these commandments, all His commandments. Diligently keep them. Not kind of, sort of. Diligent. Give me a good definition of diligent. Yeah. Rigorously. Rigorously. Yeah. Carefully and patiently. Carefully and patiently. What's another one? Focused. Good. What else? What's that? 
Attentional. Studiously. Studiously. Come on, thesaurus. <laughs> Determined. With great care. Faithful. Faithfully. How about thoroughly? And truly. I love those two. Thoroughly. Like everything. Everything that God commands you to do. You don't want to leave anything undone. Like how many of you want to show up and God's like, alright, so how'd you do? And you're like, uh, I kind of hope I did everything you asked me to do. No, no, no. No, you don't need to do that. Like God has told you exactly what you need to do. Do you know what you need to do? Do you know that you can boil the Christian life down to two things that you need to do? Do you know those two things? I mean, there's a lot more than just two things. But if you were to boil it all down to like two main things, there's two main things that every Christian should be doing faithfully. You know what they are? Great, Ethan. Evangelism and discipleship. Telling people about Christ so that way they can get saved themselves. And then growing in your relationship and helping others grow in their relationship with God. If you're not doing those two things, you ain't doing nothing. You're not doing nothing for the Lord. It's the work that Jesus did and it's the work that we're supposed to be doing. You can boil everything down to that. If you're not doing either of those two things, you cannot be faithful. You can't. There's no way. If you're cleaving to the Lord, you will do those two things. Those two things will start to happen because you're going to be close to Him and that's the purpose that He's given you and it will convict you in the things that you're doing and not doing. So those two things really, I mean, it boils down to really those two things. But you will diligently keep His commandments. You will love Him. You will love God. Again, if you love Him, you'll talk about Him. You, you will. I love talking about my kids and my family because I love them. Like the stupid things that they do, it's amazing. And I love it. It's the best ever. And other people will be like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I mean, and it's because I love my family. I love my kids. I mean, even while we're on vacation, like there's this, I, I can't, Megan started to write down all the, the crazy things the kids have been saying. And there's things that Lucy has been saying and it's just absolutely hilarious. But one of the biggest blessings that I even had of spending time with my kids while on vacation is that Lucy has been like deathly afraid of the water. Like if you know anything about Lucy, she is very apprehensive. She's very cautious. She's bold in the things she's confident in, but she's very, very cautious in the things that she's not. And so one of the things that you could not get her to do worth anything is to get her head underwater. You could not. I mean, we had swimming lessons at the YMCA. She took two rounds of them, and that instructor could not get this girl to get her nose underwater. Could not do it. Like, I mean, I paid her, and she couldn't do it. You know what I mean? It's kind of one of those deals. And so here, Lucy, we were swimming one night, and it was me, Lucas, and Lucy, and Lily. And Lily bought these goggles from Walgreens that cover the eyes and the nose. And, uh, and so then Lucy's like, I want to try them. And so Lily's like, okay. And Lily's big on instructing her. And so Lily takes it and puts it on her and it covers everything. And Lucy's like, so if I go under the water, the water won't come in. I'm like, no. And she starts to do it. So if I do this, <laughs> no, it won't. And then she did a little bit and came back up. And then she did a little bit more. And then she came back up. And then she finally went under. The, and we were in the hot tub. She finally went under. And she came back up. And, she, and any water come in? No. And then all of a sudden she's, and she was in. And she's doing flips. And she's doing, I mean, she ends up jumping into the pool with the goggles on. And there were several times where they would pop off. And she'd hold her breath in time, come back up. And she's, I'm okay. I'm okay. And she'd go like this to me all the time. And so, like, it was a huge confidence booster. And I'm like, this is amazing. And it's one of those things about being a dad that's just so cool. And I love that. But to other people, they're like, yeah, big deal. Yeah, it's because you don't love my kid. I mean, I, I love my kid and I know what we've gone through to get to this point. And to see her do that is amazing. And so when you love God, there are times that when you talk about God, you're going to sound like a crazy person. And other people are going to be like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, but you love God, so it doesn't matter. And all you want is for them to love God too. And if God can show His relationship with you, through you, as you talk about it and as you live it out, there are people that are looking for it and that need it. Frankly, everyone needs it, but only certain people are going to see it and know they need it, and then they're going to be able to have an open door with you to have a conversation about the gospel. So you will love God. You will love Him. You're going to walk in His ways. You're going to cleave unto Him. And you're going to have great victories. That's what it says in verse 23. That God will drive out all these nations. And you're going to possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. 
not because of you. It's because of your relationship with God. This is why Proverbs, these are such good Proverbs. Write these down. Proverbs 3, 7. Proverbs 16, 6. So Proverbs 3, 7. Proverbs 16, 6. Proverbs 16, 17. And Proverbs 13, 19. Proverbs 3, 7. 16, 6. 16, 17. And Proverbs 13, 19. I'll just read through these real quick. Proverbs 3, 7 says this, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. If you want evil out of your life, you need to stop thinking that you know everything. Stop being so arrogant and prideful because you don't, by the way. It's one of the plagues of teenagers and young adults is that they think they know everything when they don't. And it would be best for them just to understand early on, hey, listen, I don't know anything. I'm learning, but I make huge mistakes. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So if you want to get evil out of your life, you need to not be wise in your own eyes. You need to fear God, and you'll be able to depart from evil. Proverbs 16.6 says, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. By mercy and truth. So what I love about this is that God does the mercy part, He's willing to hear us. We just need to be truthful about it. So I love how these two things come together. If you're willing to be truthful about your sin and your iniquity and your shortcomings, God will be merciful. If you're willing to admit your failures, God is willing to meet you there and be very merciful to you. But if you are never willing to admit that you are a sinner, that you make mistakes, and that at times you don't know everything, then God cannot be merciful. He can't. He wants to be, but he can't. So by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. You want to get sin out of your life? Be truthful about it. Be honest about it. Be forthright about it. Stop hiding it. Stop making excuses about it. Stop dressing it up. Just be honest about it. And God will be merciful. And he'll get rid of that for you. And then, right after that, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 16, 17 says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. It's the way they travel. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. And then listen to this one. This is the contrary one. Proverbs 13, 19. The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is abomination to fools to depart from evil. It is abomination to fools to depart from evil. They don't want to depart from evil. They love it. And they think that leaving evil is an abomination. They think that leaving evil is evil. Which is why they look down upon you, by the way. If you don't partake in their evil ways, and they start calling you evil which is crazy. It's what our world is becoming today. So that's the second point under this one, Deuteronomy 11, 22 and 23. Now here's the third one, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now if you've noticed, all these are in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Israel did not obey the first time because they saw it as duty. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, and God says, Obey me because you love me. Cleave. That's why all these things are found in Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20. Give me a reader for that one. Go ahead. You got that one. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life in the length of thy days, that thou mayest that that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac. Okay, so in these verses, here's another list. If you cleave unto the Lord, if you make this decision from the heart, because remember, this is a heart issue, then these things will exist in your life. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God. You will love Him. You will obey Him. You will cleave unto Him because He is your life. But notice what it says even before that in verse 19. This is weird how, this is the context. This is why context is so important. It's weird how it says it, but it makes sense when you put it all together. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. 
So when you cleave unto the Lord, it gives you, it grants you discernment between life and death, blessing and cursing. You're able to tell the difference between things that are going to give you life and promote health or the things that will give you death and promote things that will destroy aspects of your life. If you're willing to cleave unto God, it will give you what you need at this phase of your life, at this stage, discernment. It can be hard sometimes as a teenager to have discernment, to know is this the right decision or the wrong decision. Now, if you want to know clarity on that, cleave unto the Lord. If you cleave to Him, He will give you the ability to choose in between life and death, blessing and cursing. He will be able to. You will be able to. And you'll love Him. You'll obey His voice. You'll hear His voice. And you will cleave unto Him. And I love how it says that He is thy life. You know, this same phrase is used in Colossians 3, 4, where it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He's everything. Like, He's everything. Like, and I know, I know sometimes, like, in the experience of life, like, you have to go through the experience in order to really get this. Like, I, I really, I mean, I do understand this. I would say for the most part, many of you have not gone through a crisis of your faith. Like, you've never been put in a situation where you have no other option than to just suck it up and go through the pain and just trust God. Some of you have been in that spot already, and you know that. Like, I knew early on as a kid that I could trust God. Like, I knew that intellectually, and I knew that even in my heart. But it wasn't until I was put into a circumstance that was really hard, and things that I didn't understand, and it hurt, that I really knew that I could trust God. And so I feel like there's a level of experience that God will grant you at some point when you just go through some seriously sucky times that you have no other option than just to trust Him. Because those same circumstances in my life that were catalysts for my friends to not believe God and just walk away are the same ones that actually drew me closer to the Lord. It will happen in your life. So if you've not had that happen yet, it's coming and it's a good thing. It hurts and it's hard, but you'll learn how to love God in a way you've never understood it before. And you'll cleave unto Him because He's all you have. And what I've learned is that when I've been in those moments and He is all that I have had, He's enough. And He's got me through it. And I don't understand all of it, but I know Him now better than anybody else. It's like when you go on a trip with somebody or you go on a missions trip with somebody or you spend time with somebody, you get to know them in ways that no one else does because you're close to them. You spend time with them. You get to know more of them as they get to know more of you. It's the same thing with the Lord when you go through very difficult things. And it's the same thing with God. And they had been going through some very difficult things up to this point and they cleaved into the Lord. So God will give you discernment. All right, and this is our last point, point number three. Cleaving unto the Lord brings safety. So cleaving unto the Lord is a decision of the heart, and it causes you to do all those things that I mentioned in Deuteronomy 10, 11, and, and chapter 30. And then lastly, cleaving unto the Lord brings safety. Let's go back to... Um, let's see here. Yeah, let's go back to Joshua. Joshua 22. Joshua 22. And give me a couple more readers. So Deuteronomy 13, 3, and 4. Who else has got it? All right, you got that one. Deuteronomy 13, 3, and 4. And Deuteronomy 4, 3, and 4. Rachel, you got that one. All right, everyone else go to Joshua 22. All right, last point, and we'll wrap things up. Joshua 22, verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5. All right, who'd like to read those ones? Okay, go ahead. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren as he promised them. Therefore now return ye and get you unto your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side Jordan. Take, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, 
to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay. So, again, context of Joshua 22. He's getting ready to die. He's giving his last words. He talks about how part of the Israelites had given, they had gotten their rest. And now he says, but you need to take diligent heed. So he's about to leave. So this means when he makes this statement to cleave unto him, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, that cleaving unto the Lord will keep you stable and will keep you pure when you're moving through the transitions of life. This is very important. Now, if you don't get this, Heading out of high school, you are going to struggle hard in college. I'm serious. If you don't get this, it's already going to be a difficult transition anyway. I don't care how prepared you are. It's going to be much harder of a transition if you don't cleave to the Lord. Like if you don't really learn how to walk with Him and have a real relationship with God, when you graduate, it is going to be much harder for you. When you cleave unto God, it's like... I mean, one of the best examples that I can give you is um, like a life jacket, all right? So uh, I remember, I, I already mentioned it already, but I love to water ski, all right? So there are times where I've water skied. How many of you water skied before? Okay, one, two, okay, there's a few. Okay, yeah, that's right, I did teach you how to water ski. So have you ever done something like so hard that you were just exhausted at the end? Like you, you can't even really stand up can't even do anything. Okay, I would water ski that hard. And so I would slalom ski. And if you've never slalom before, it's the one ski. And it burns your quads so bad, like to the point where you can't even like walk the next day. Like it's just really, really bad. You have massive cramps. And it's because you have this boat, and I remember being in the water, and I would use a tournament ski, which means it would plow through the water even harder, giving more resistance. But I remember being in the water, and it would pull me out of the water, and I have this boat that goes from zero to 40 miles an hour in like two seconds, and it pops you up out of the water. And then as I'm going out, one of my most favorite things to do, because I'm, I'm left over right, so I would, I would go out this side of the wake, and I would go as far as I could, and then I would lean back, and then I would cut across the wake. And when you're cutting across the wake, you're doubling the speed of the boat. So I would typically go anywhere between 28 and 31 miles an hour on a slalom ski. So I'm going probably close to 60 miles an hour as I'm ripping across this wake. And then I would go out and then I would cut back in and I would just go back and forth. And you're leaning against the boat constantly. So my rear right quad was on fire when I was done. And my arms were just on fire. So when I was done or if I would wipe out because I'd have some pretty massive wipeouts too. I mean, I was in the water and I couldn't even do anything. Like I was just, and I'm completely depending upon this life jacket, like totally and completely. There is no way. If I didn't have a life jacket on, I would have drowned. Let's just put it that way. And I was completely relying upon this thing to keep me afloat. And it's like this. There are times in your life, especially transitions, where you're working through things, you're working like different muscles in your body that you typically wouldn't, where you're working overtime on things that you're not used to and you're going to get absolutely exhausted. Absolutely exhausted. And you're going to need something that keeps you afloat. And if you don't have that life jacket on, you're screwed. You're done. It's over. And there are so many Christians that hit that transition and they get so exhausted. Because they weren't prepared for it. They weren't ready for it. And they weren't walking with God, so they don't have the life jacket. They don't have that relationship with God that kept them afloat, that just kept them rock solid. I've seen it over and over again. Over and over again. And it either causes them to sink or swim. Using a similar illustration, it does. And so you need to learn how to fix that life jacket on you spiritually so that when things happen, you're able to stay afloat. And this is what Joshua was afraid of. In fact, if you read the whole context of Joshua 22, 23, 24, he says, listen, you're not going to listen to God. You're not going to obey Him. And they're like, yes, we will. He's like, no, you won't. You can't. I know you. You're not going to be able to do it. And they're like, yes, we will. And they did for a couple generations. And then you have the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is 
a mess. A mess. They only cried out to God because, God, we made giant mistakes and life is hard and we need you. And so then God would send a deliverer. The deliverer would come in and rescue them. And they're like, yay, God. And it would last maybe 10 years. And then they go back into their sin again. They're like, oh, God, we need you again. We made these mistakes. Toddlers. And then he would come in because he loved them and says, okay, I will rescue you. And then they're like, yay, God. And, then, and that is so much like us. When it doesn't have to be that way. Like, it doesn't. Like, what if the guys, and even the lady, Deborah, who was one of the judges, weren't walking with God at all? And they were in captivity, and they cried out to God, and there was none to deliver them. Then what? They were so dependent upon other people rescuing them, when they could have just walked with God themselves, but they chose not to. So Joshua knew that this was going to be the case, and so he says, Cleave unto the Lord. Cleave unto Him. You've got to cleave unto him. Listen to Deuteronomy 13, 3 and 4. Thou shalt not hearken unto the voice of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. All right, and then listen to Deuteronomy 4, 3 and 4. Baal Peor. Baal Peor for all the men that follow Baal Peor. The Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among them. Be that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Okay, so there's two things here. In Deuteronomy 13, it talks about false prophets, false teachers. So that means guys coming in preaching incorrect things, unbiblical things. And not only that, but they were prophets. So they would say, hey, this is going to happen in some time in the future. And guess what happened? It unfolded exactly like they said. And so they're like, well, then it must be of God. And look what he says. Listen to it again. He says, thou shalt not hearken unto them. God's doing this to prove you whether or not you're cleaving to him or not. Okay, and then the second passage, chapter 4, Baal Peor. Okay, so that's a whole different circumstance that I can't even get into right now. But what it says in that circumstance is that there were some that followed Baal Peor and worshipped him a false god, and some that did not. And those that did not were saved alive, and those that did died. Okay, so the reason why they were alive is because they cleaved to the Lord. So in these two circumstances, cleaving to the Lord will preserve you from false doctrine and false prophets. Even if it sounds good, looks good, smells good, it's not good because you're cleaving to the Lord and you're like, uh-uh, there's something not right about that. I know there's something wrong about that. Or with Baal Peor, you see everyone going in a certain direction. You're like, no, 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 no. I know everyone else is going that direction, but that's not right. That's not what God has said because you're cleaving unto the Lord. There's so many Christians that can't do that because they're not cleaving unto the Lord. And they're not cleaving unto the Lord, so then they're susceptible to all these other things. Another really great illustration for this one that I loved was in Mexico. How many of you guys went to Mexico and you did the ropes course? Okay, you did that one. Bobby did that one. Okay. At the end of the ropes course, what was there? Jump. He had to jump. He was freaking me out. Brian said many teenagers got saved on that platform. Okay, so what happened was you're on this rope, which how high was that, would you think, Andy? What, 30 feet? 30, 30, roughly. Okay. 30 to 6,000 feet high. Somewhere between there. <laughs> so, so it's pretty high. Okay, so you, you're at the end and there's this platform. And so you end up unclipping from where you are and you clip it to a rope that someone's holding at the bottom. They're blowing you down at the bottom. And your goal is you're off now the ropes course and you have this trapeze handle in front of you and it's probably six feet out, I would say. But it feels it looks, it looks hard. like 12. <laughs> And you're 30 feet off the ground and you're on this platform and you have to jump off the platform and then onto this thing with one dude holding you at the bottom and you're trusting that you're not just going to jump and go... The small. Yes, it's very, very small. It's freaky. It's just an optical illusion. But it's one of those things where you have to leave the security of where you are and you have to jump and hold on to it, trusting that's going to hold, that's going to hold, he's going to hold, all this is going to work out, am I saved? I'm not, I mean, all these things have to be in line, right? 
So that was such a great illustration. And Brian used it as a spiritual picture of trusting God. And there comes a point where you have to take that step, or in this instance, leap of faith, in order to trust God in something that you do not feel you have no control over. Like, you have no control over it. You just have to jump. And this is exactly what it's like. Because I feel like, for a lot of us, we have the safety and the security of our platform, which is our life, our habits, this world. It could be the way that you're raised. It could be the, the circumstances you're in. It could be the people around you. You have this environment. And you know that that trapeze bar is the way that God wants you to walk. It's the life that God wants you to live. It's that relationship you know you should have with God. And it's there. But you're here and you're just comfortable and you're doing your thing. But in order to leave that platform and cleave unto the Lord, it requires you to take action and actually do something about it. You actually have to just, you have to do something about it. You have to leave this behind. This has to not be important anymore. You've got to let go of this here in order to have what God wants you to have. Because I'm telling you, once you jump, did you jump? Of course. Well, I mean, you can be a sissy with these things. You can be a sissy with these things. <laughs> it is very high. But there are some that couldn't do it. Like, they just couldn't do it. They could not jump. They refused to jump. And you're like, you can't. You have to. No, no, no. I, I, no, you just, you just have to. I mean, yeah, exactly. Whether you just shove them or not. But I'm telling you, that's exactly what it's like. Because I'm willing to bet, for every person in this room, there is something, there is something that you're staying back on the platform about. I don't know what it is. I know what it is for me and what it has been in my life, but I know that there's things that you're just here, and you know you should be here, but you're just refusing. You would rather hold to these things that you currently have than to let go of these things and trust that God has something way better for you. I remember I used to be that way about even relationships in my life. Friendships. Future plans. My thoughts and ideas about what I wanted. And most of you guys know my testimony. Every girl that I thought I was going to marry, it never worked out. And I'm glad. I love who I'm married to. She's way better than anything that I had in mind. I'm telling you, it's so true. Because I look at what my life could have been like and it would have been a wreck. God had something better for me. I hadn't thought about my future plans and what I thought would be great. None of them worked out. And I'm glad. Because where God has me now is way better than anything I thought I wanted. So those things right now that are in your mind that you think you want, are you willing to abandon those things utterly and to let them just go in order to have what God has for you and let Him be the author of your future? Do you trust God enough for that? Most people are willing to trust God with their eternity, but never trust Him with this life. And it's because they're selfish. They don't want to go to hell. And so they say, God save me. They're the book of Judges. God save me. But they're never willing to give him this life. That is nonsense. If you can trust God, the day you die, the day you close your eyes in this life and you open them up in eternity, if you can trust God to carry you from one plane of existence into the next, first of all, can you do that? Have you made that decision? I think that's very important to ask. And if you have, if you can trust God to carry your soul and your spirit from this existence into the next, into eternity, can you trust Him to author your future? If you're honest, I think many of you would say, no, I'm not. I'm not willing to let God take control of my career, of who I'm going to date, who I'm going to marry, where I'm going to live. And it's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. Huge mistake. And if you cleave unto the Lord, you have no problem. You have no problem leaving behind anything in order to embrace what He has for you. And I know that my life is a testimony that what He had for me is so much better than what I had for myself. And so that's the conclusion. You need to cleave unto the Lord and all that's, all that's good. You need to do that. 
And this is exactly what Paul and all the apostles exhorted the people. I love it says in Acts 11, they exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And that's what you need to do. So I don't know where you're at tonight. All I know is this is something that I needed. I needed to work through these things personally. There are some things that I was just even working through last week where God just really challenged me on this and He's continuing to do it. And so, what do you need to deal with? What do you need to deal with? I feel like we need to have an altar call. I really do. I feel like, I mean, if, if there's any of you that are like, you know what, I'm not walking with God. Stick around. I'm not walking with God. I know I'm not saved. I need to get saved. Don't leave here without talking to somebody about it. If you're struggling with something that's going on in your life, whether it's your future, maybe some sort of relationship that you have, and please, don't leave here without talking about it. If God is tugging on your heart about something, I don't care how small or insignificant you may think it is, it is a big deal because God was convicting you about it. Be obedient in that thing. Don't leave this room without talking to somebody about it. Please. Because this is something that could change your life. I promise you, if you cleave unto the Lord, when you open up your eyes tomorrow, it can be a different day, a brand new day. Even if you've known God for a period of time, even if you've made a profession of faith and you've gotten saved, it can be like you are actually walking with God for the first time. And so don't let the day go by. Don't let this moment go by. Don't leave this room without dealing with it, please. Come and talk to one of the leaders, talk to one of your friends, do something. But don't, don't let this moment pass by. So I'm going to pray in a minute. You guys can be dismissed and you can do what you want. But if you've got business to deal with, please take some time to do it. And don't feel embarrassed. And don't give a rip about the people next to you. They've got their own issues. They've got to walk with God on their own. God convicted you. So don't let any pressure of the people around you determine what you do or what you don't do. Because a lot of times people, they, they neglect, they just push off God's conviction because they're afraid to stand out. And I'm telling you, it's not worth it. Just be obedient to what God wants you to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together tonight. I pray that you'd help us to take these things and just live it out. Uh, cleaving to you is one of the most important things that we must do to be faithful to you, um, to accomplish the things you want us to accomplish in this life. And I'm sorry for the things that I have done where I've just not lived this out right. And um, thank you for being patient with me. Uh, thank you for always teaching me and always being willing to uh, be merciful to me if I'm willing to be truthful back to you and that you purge my iniquities and all those things. You're just, you're just so good. And so, Father, we thank you for your word and, and, uh, and I pray that um, uh, the issues will be dealt with tonight, that if there's anyone here that needs to get saved or just deal with some things, that they would do it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.